Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing awesome today. Thank you for being here, making the decision to be in the house of God to worship Jesus. And uh, starting out, before we get into the Word of God, I've got some exciting updates about our next campaign. Last October, we launched a campaign to completely eliminate a 14-year-old $1.4 million debt that this church has. So we had 63 families that pledged 669060 bucks over three years. And we praised God for those commitments. But here is a really amazing update. Uh, as today, we've collected and paid $375,681 towards the loan principal. We've paid that towards the loan. Yes. What that means is every month we have almost an $11,000 mortgage payment that we're sending to the bank. We have saved $11,000 in interest. We've collected 55% of our total pledges in eight months alone. Uh, that's really amazing. We praise God for that because of your generosity. And I want to say thank you to you for your generosity. There's actually a lot of people who didn't even make a pledge. It said, I want to do something. The Lord has put it on my heart to help us eliminate that debt. Why is it so important to eliminate that debt? Because we're sending almost $11,000 a month to something that has happened in the past. And we want to use those funds for what's next for this church to reach the next generation with the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do, to make disciples, to tell the next generation of the amazing work of Jesus. And here's an amazing thing that's happening. This past summer, we've had 76 students from fourth grade all the way to 12th grade go on summer camps, Christ-centered camps. And 16 of those students made commitments for Jesus. Now that's something to praise God for. Thank you, Lord. Those students, those students are learning about what it means to go public with their faith and be baptized. And so that's why this is important, because we want to put that money towards the future. If you did not get the chance to make a pledge to that campaign, I want to show you this QR code. Use your phone. You can make a pledge. Pray about that. Pull that up. There is uh, also a, a button on the website. Or you can pray about just making a donation to the next campaign. And use the website, use the app to make a, a contribution and just simply put next. And that's what we're praying about, completely eliminating this. And the Lord is doing amazing things in our congregation in the past three months, we've had 40 brand new guests to the church, and most of those guests are coming back a second, a third, and a fourth time. And there's two major pieces of feedback that we're getting from our guests. One, this church is incredibly welcoming and friendly. We hear that all the time. So keep up the good work. And I am going to encourage you and challenge you today before you leave church today, before you walk out those doors out to your car, find someone that you don't know and just introduce yourself. Maybe they've gone to church here longer than you have, but you don't know them. 
So ask them, what's your name? Introduce yourself. I'm going to actually challenge you to go one step further. Do you have lunch plans today? Cancel them. Seriously, cancel your lunch plans and invite somebody from church out to lunch that you don't know and you're buying. Okay? Ooh, there's a lot of silence there. <laughs> it's like, you're buying lunch. Take them out to lunch. Now, you don't have to have super deep theological conversations. Just get to know each other. Share your faith story or what God's doing in your life. Take somebody out to lunch. Let's continue to be a welcoming, friendly church. Here's the other thing that people say. When we come to discovery, we sense the presence of God. We hear it all the time. And I'm going to be really honest with you. I cannot manufacture the presence of God in this place. It really doesn't matter how good my sermon is. God's not going to be impressed. So, well, I think I'll show up today because Scott's going to preach awesome. Our worship team, they work really hard. But just because they find the latest worship songs and practice them to perfection, God's not going to be like, I guess I'll show up today. What, what actually brings the presence of God? Our hearts genuinely seeking God in prayer. I pray over the message. God, you speak. The worship team prays over the service. Our staff, our elders, our prayer team, many of you pray, Lord, we want to see you. We want to hear your voice. And God responds. God wants to show up when we seek him. That is what people are experiencing. And I want us to continue to know the presence of God in this place. I hope that that's your desire as well. So before we get into the word of God, I want us to lay our hearts, our minds before him and ask him to speak to us today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the moment that we have here to worship you, to praise you, to lift up your name. But Lord, all of this without your presence is just not worth it. Lord, we want to hear you. We want to know you. So, Father, would you speak this morning? Would you soften our hearts? Would you open our eyes? Lord, we want to hear from you. And, Lord, we ask that you would heal people's hearts, heal people's minds, heal bodies. And, Lord, draw people to your presence through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, this morning, as we continue in our series, um, <clears throat> one of the most common questions that I get as a pastor is, how do I know God's will? And sometimes it doesn't sound like, how do I know God's will? It sounds like this. My marriage isn't doing so well. What do I do? My, my kids are going off the rails. I don't know what to do. I just lost my job, and I have no idea what's next. People are asking, what is God's will? They're seeking the Lord for answers. Now, at the core of this question, where do I find direction for my life? 
Where do I go for answers to these difficulties in life? And unfortunately, many Christians, their first impulse is not simply to talk to God. And I've thought about why this is the case. I think one of the reasons, and, and see if this is what you sense also in your life, is that we really don't believe that we can hear from God. We don't really believe that God will speak to us. Now, there's a subconscious expectation that God will audibly speak to us. There's a subconscious expectation that God will perform some miraculous sign. Oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. We're looking for the sign. Have you ever said that? God, if you just give me a sign, give me a sign, I'll know what to do. Play that song on the radio. Uh, show me something in the clouds, whatever it is. Lord, Lord, give me a sign. Now, if you believe that God doesn't speak to you, then you won't go to God for direction. So where do people go for direction? There's something that I hear often, and it's becoming more and more common, and it's very deceiving. It sounds something like this. We'll just always follow your heart. Let your heart be your guide. You heard this? Have you kind of sensed that in your own life? For Christians, there's a little bit of truth there. If we have been given a new heart, if we're a new creation in Christ, we should be able to depend on our heart to guide us. Yet, that seriously depends on the condition of our heart and our mind. Even for Christians, our hearts can be deceiving. So we need to break from this bad theology. Always follow your heart or let your heart be your guide is a dangerous half-truth. I hope to show us this morning why this is bad theology and why this is a dangerous half-truth. If we're looking for God's will, we need to look to God for direction because he does want to speak to us. He has answers. And we need to know how to hear from God. So I want you to open up your Bibles, please. The Second Timothy, chapter 3. Second Timothy. And Timothy, First and Second Timothy, amazing letters written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Paul considered Timothy his spiritual son. He had great affection for Timothy. My son in the faith, he called him. And Paul wrote these letters to Timothy while he was in prison. In 2 Timothy, Paul was pretty convinced that he was going to die and he was leaving the pastoral ministry to several churches to Timothy. Paul wanted to make sure Timothy was encouraged and equipped to carry on the work that Paul worked so hard for. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start with verse 16. 2 Timothy 3. 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture 
what we're talking about, scripture, the writings, the entire Bible has been breathed out by God. And what does that mean, breathed out? Paul could have said, well, God wrote all the scripture or God guided the writing of the scripture, but Paul uses this idea of breathed out. What does that mean? Paul was a master teacher from a young age, he memorized and studied the scriptures. And this word that is here in Timothy is the only place this word is found in all of the Bible. It's almost as if Paul took this concept, put it into one from the whole counsel of the word of God. All the scripture is breathed out by God. It evokes Genesis. God formed Adam from the dust. Then what did he do? Genesis says God breathed life into Adam. God breathed life into Adam and Adam became a living creature. The breath of life. Adam was dust and when God breathed into him, he became a living creature. We have the breath of God in us. Now, the, Paul says, all scripture is breathed out for God. It's not just instructions of what to do, although it has that, what Paul's saying. The scripture is breathing out life into you. You see, the, the Bible isn't just an instruction manual to tell you what to do. The Bible is forming who you are. The Bible, the word of God, the scriptures are breathing life into you. That's the power of scripture. Now, the Bible is not telling us what to do for our next job. The Bible's not telling us how to handle necessarily conflict at home. But the Bible is forming in us who we are and giving us God's life. All scripture is breathed out by God. And then it says profitable. Meaning you're going to gain from it. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof correction and for training in righteousness that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. These words are really important. Teaching, that's, in, that's acquiring knowledge to know God, to know his ways. Reproof, that's a way of making us aware something's wrong. Hey, your house is on fire. I remember when I was a little kid, we're driving down the road after a birthday party. We're literally driving and somebody's house is on fire. We stopped and knocked on the door. Everybody's asleep. They had no idea the house is on fire. Reproof is, hey, something's wrong. And for correction, here's what to do about it. To correct, you're going the wrong way. Turn around and for training in righteousness, to train 
is to develop habits. And those habits are in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is a very interesting word, this idea of being complete. It doesn't mean finished. It means prepared, complete, ready. Ready for what? Equipped for every good work. What God has for us. So this is what scripture is doing for us. How do I know God's will? Know God's word. More than that, allow God's word to form you and transform you. God's word will form your heart, will form your thinking, and it will transform your heart, change you. When we are complete and equipped by God's word, then we can follow our heart because our heart is therefore trained in righteousness. It knows what to do. But we don't just stop there. We have to continually be in God's word. Why? We all can testify because our hearts wander. Our hearts wander. And in my own life, I'm not just talking about, oh, I miss being in the word of of God for a couple of days. I better get back to it. No, I mean every day, every hour, I have to remind myself of who God is and what he desires because my heart wanders, my mind wanders. It's just the the nature of things. I know that you would agree. Let's continue in Paul's words to Timothy, chapter four, it says this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the charge that Timothy had, Paul had for Timothy. But we can learn from this. This is breathed out by God to bring us life. It was for Timothy. It was to him. But the Spirit of God wants to teach us and help us apply it in our own lives. I want us to notice this basic conflict Paul lays out between sound teaching and our own passions. Sound teaching is solid. It's sound. It's firm. Based in truth. Sound teaching is based in God's breathed out word. Sound teaching can be trusted because it is God's word. And Paul says, people will not endure sound teaching. Why does he use the word endure? Now, this is an interesting word as well in the ESV, <clears throat> to endure. 
The NIV, the New International Version, says they will not put up with sound teaching. The Message Bible says they won't have a stomach for it. When you look at the original language, the most literal translation is endure. It's like carrying a weight or persisting to the end like a long race, to endure. So people will no longer want to bear the weight or persist on a difficult path of sound teaching. Instead, they want to find teaching that's easier, not so heavy, not so burdensome. People would rather find teaching that allows them to go easy and allow their passions to rule instead of restraining themselves. So a quick side note here. It's part of my practice as I study the Word of God is to look at certain words that pique my interest. As you're reading along, if there's a word or a phrase, you go, I wonder what that means. One of the things I do is I look at different translations and see how they translate from the original language into English, and sometimes that brings some insight. Now, if you don't have, you know, three, four, five physical Bibles, you can download the YouVersion Bible app, and you can just pick different translations, read several of them. Now, my main translation, I've said this before, the ESV, the English Standard Version, tends to be more literal, take the literal meaning of the Greek into English, but sometimes it gets a little clunky. They use phrases and words that you don't quite know how to apply it. So that's why I use some of the different translations and Bible dictionaries, and I don't mean to nerd out, but there is a difference between just reading your Bible and studying it, asking the question, God, as you breathe this out, what do you mean by this? Help me to apply this. So I pray that we get a hunger and thirst to study the Word of God. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Feed your curiosity about God's Word so that we can apply it. There is only one intended meaning from this scripture, but there are hundreds of applications. We can apply this to the issues of our life. Now, if you're needing direction about your marriage, it might be difficult to find chapter and verse about your husband. Yeah. Although some of you get pretty creative with it. There he is right there. <laughs> I see it. Sometimes it's difficult to find chapter and verse about your job or parenting. But when you read scripture and you dive in and you allow God and you allow God to breathe truth into you, you begin to, begin to get a sense of what God's will is. Our scripture, for example, says that sound teaching is often difficult to endure or persist in. It says rebuke, correct, train. These are hard words. But with the promise of being complete, ready, and equipped for every good work, people don't want to be rebuked and corrected or to train themselves in righteousness. 
They would rather follow their heart, whatever feels right in the moment. Now, I'm not saying that all sound teaching is hard to bear. A lot of sound teaching is sweet like honey. God loves you. God desires to have relationship with you. He wants to forgive your sins. God is patient. He's kind. God desires to be close to you. That's sweet like honey. But if we're going to follow the Lord, if we're going to have faith in Jesus, Jesus says, you got to pick up your cross. You got to die. You got to die to yourself. Allow me to live in you. And you know what? That's hard teaching. So much so that when Jesus hung on the cross, almost all of his friends walked away. It's hard. Listen to this. Sound teaching is sweet to the soul and bitter to the flesh. Sound teaching is sweet to the soul. It's like, oh, that's what I need. But then my flesh says, uh-uh. That's bitter. That's going to require some sacrifice. That's going to require some correction. Our flesh, our fleshly passions and desires will buck against sound teaching. Sound teaching is sweet to the soul, but yet bitter to the flesh. Many people want all sweet and no bitter. Many people want teaching that gives them permission to do what they want and reject any teaching that requires restraint. God is very clear about the human heart. Jeremiah 17 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The philosophy to always follow your heart can be disastrous in trying to navigate through life. God's word has an alternative to what the world is telling us to do. There is an alternative path to follow. Jesus says there is a path that many don't take. Only a few find it. It's difficult, but it leads to life. There's an alternative way. This other path is wide, it's easy, and most people are going down that path, but it's leading to destruction. There's an alternative path. Find it, take it. It will be unto eternal life. So I've come up with this little acronym, A-L-T, alternative. Remember that command on your computer? Command, alt, delete. I don't even remember what it did. But I remember when you had to do it, it wasn't a good thing, right? We have to hit the alt key. Just stop. Wait a minute. There's an alternative way to go. Ask, listen, trust. Hit the alt key. Ask. Here's the first one. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 says this. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. 
And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. The words ask, seek, and knock. Now I'm going to geek out on you a little bit here in the original language. This is present, it's imperative, and it's active. Present, do it now. It's imperative, it's a command. It's active. Do it and keep on doing it. Ask. Ask and keep on asking. Seek. The Lord's telling us, seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Why doesn't God just immediately give us what we ask for? Sometimes the thing we're asking for isn't ready. Sometimes we aren't ready to receive it. Sometimes what we ask for is not what God desires. Ask and keep on asking. I know in my own life, God responds to my seeking. Sometimes by not giving me what I hope for. Sometimes in my asking, and I keep asking, the Lord begins to just adjust. And I, do you ever start praying and asking and crying out to the Lord, and then you hear your own voice? And you're like, you dummy. <laughs> like, I can hear myself. Like, I can hear my heart, my own mind. And in asking and seeking and knocking, the Lord begins to reveal my own heart. You see what you're really desiring? You see what you're really asking for? Let's, let's reconsider this. It leads up to the next step. Listen. Ask, then listen. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says, and I know them and they follow me. My sheep know my voice. Now, this can be frustrating and it can be confusing. We have so many voices coming at us, don't we? You ever asked the Lord, sought the Lord, and you got these voices and you're like, I, I don't know if it's God or me. I mean, legitimately, sometimes like, is that God or is that the devil? Sometimes those voices are just coming at us. But Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. How do you actually begin to recognize the voice of the shepherd above all the other voices? It's familiarity. It's time spent. When my wife Rondi and I met each other back in college, there were no cell phones. There was no texting. We had landlines. In our dorm room, we had phones, you know, and sometimes we'd buy the extra long cord so we could just wander around or lay in bed and talk at night, you know. But we didn't really know each other, so I would call her. She had no idea who it was. And unless you had caller ID, we couldn't afford that. When you picked up the phone, you literally had no idea who it was. For some of you, like, that's weird. <laughs> when you said hello, you literally like, who, hello, who is this? Hello? You know, it wasn't just a polite, like, I know who this is, I'm just saying hello. 
It's like, hello? And I would have to say, hey, this is Scott. I would have to state, this is Scott. Uh, who? You know, the guy from the lunchroom? <laughs> the guy that is kind of got a weird haircut? Oh, oh yeah, hi. <laughs> so for a little while, I'd have to state who I was. But guess what happens after a while? As soon as I would open my mouth or as soon as she say the first word, I knew exactly who it was. And today, I could pick out my wife's voice over a crowd of people. I know exactly her tone. I know exactly what she sounds like. Same thing with my daughters. When they start talking, I know exactly who it is. Now, all three of my girls kind of have similar voices, you know, but I can kind of tell the nuance, the difference in their voice. And they can tell my voice. And they can tell my whistle. <laughs> when they were little and they would wander around the neighborhood, I'd go out in the front, I'd just whistle. They would come. And literally to this day, my one daughter's 28, the other daughter 25. If we're in a crowd and I whistle, they know exactly, that's dad. What's he whistling for? Because they know my voice. I know their voice above all the rest of the voices. Because of time spent over and over. Conversation after conversation. Laughter, tears, shouts, whispers. I can tell when my wife is encouraging me and I can tell when she's frustrated. I'm not, I can hear it in her voice. Well, that's not what I meant. I can hear it. You know what we're talking about. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice above all the rest of the voices. I know them and they follow me. Church, In order to really listen, you have to know the voice of Jesus. Be in his word, hear his word speaking to you over and over and over again. Talk to him. Practice listening to the Lord. Know his voice. Jesus is speaking. He wants to guide you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to strengthen you and equip you. And when we speak to him, he wants to hear from you. Remember this. Jesus is speaking. So ask, listen, and then trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Sometimes this is the hardest thing to do, to trust. Now, there are some things that I have discovered about myself. Sometimes I'm not 100% sure believe the Lord is leading a certain way. 
I've discerned. I think that's the voice of the Lord. It's not my voice. But yet, there's this fear. There's this caution. The Lord is saying, take a step. And that step isn't just from here to here. That step is from here off the edge. Are you going to catch me? I'm taking a step of trust, a step of faith. And some of you are like, please back up. You're making me nervous. Trust the Lord with all of your heart. We talked about this for a couple weeks. Lay your heart before the Lord, Psalm 139. Search me and know me, God. Lay yourself out. Say, Lord, in my marriage, where is it that I'm contributing to this conflict? In parenting, where is it that I can do a better job? In, in your work, where is it that I can contribute more, be more successful? Lord, here's my heart. Search me. Sometimes this is the hardest part. Now, I don't always get it right, but I learn through it. And God has a way of working even through those times where we get it wrong. So ask and keep on asking. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of Jesus in our life, above all the other voices. How do we do that? Spend time and then trust the Lord in all your ways, with all your heart. Acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. I didn't add this other letter, but I I just want to offer this. You see, asking, listening, and trusting, it's not a solo sport. It does require time alone. But we are not meant to do all this life by ourselves. We have to ask with others, listen with others, trust with others. When you're asking, gather others with you to ask with you, to pray with you, to pray for you. When you're listening, you know, sometimes the the Lord speaks through others in my life. It's amazing, and I'm very serious about this. It is amazing how the voice of the Lord often sounds like my wife's voice. The Lord gave her to me as a gift from God. Husbands, listen. Wives, listen. Church, I speak to you often, but you also speak to me. It's amazing how the voice of God often sounds like my brothers and sisters in the Lord in this congregation. Thank you for being obedient. We can't do this by ourselves. We have to ask, listen, and trust together in the context of community. We need to lean on each other. And this morning... I want us to spend some time actually doing some asking, listening, and trusting. I'm going to continue in worship. I want the worship team to come back up on stage. You'll notice that we've 
adjusted the order of the service a little bit. We just had one song up front, and here we are. We have the message. We're going to have some extended time of singing, worshiping, prayer. And I'm going to encourage you to seek the Lord this morning. And I'm going to encourage you to be a little bit vulnerable before the Lord. Some of you would rather take care of some of this in your own time, in your own space. But I want you to know that the Lord really does want to speak to you. He does want to encourage you. He does want to bring some correction and some reproof, but he wants to do it gently. So this morning, I'm going to pray. Normally I ask everybody to stand, but I just want you to sit for a moment. And then whenever you need to, want to, you can use this space you to, to kneel before the Lord. If you need prayer, if you want to stand and raise your hands, if you continue to want to sit and pray and ask the Lord to speak to you, use this time. Don't miss the moment. God does want to use these moments to reveal himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we seek you, Lord. Where else would we go to find truth? Where else would we go to find the right path for our lives? Lord, we want to know your will. We want to do your will. So we're asking that you would speak to us, Lord. In this moment, just pray that you would be present, Father. I pray that every bit of the word of God that we know in our hearts, that it would rise up within us like streams of living water that transform our minds and our hearts in this moment. This morning, some here are very confused about a particular situation. The Lord knows it and wants to bring truth and peace in that situation, not confusion. And there are some this morning that have a bitter heart, wounded, hurt. The Lord wants to heal and, and bring peace in relationships and healing this morning. Lord, I'm asking that you would move in Jesus' name.